the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The conclusion of everything that he has said, marriage is good, singleness is better. Join us now for Grace to the Bay as we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through sound expository teaching by our teacher, Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio outreach of Grace Church of the Bay Area located in San Mateo. If you are blessed by Dr. Chen's message and are looking for a church home, you're invited to come worship with them. Now, here is Dr. Chen. What do I need to do to make sure that I am indeed making the right choice if I choose to be single for the sake of the Lord. Well, turn with me as he closes off this section, this important and powerful section on singleness and marriage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 36 through 40. But if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, if she is past her youth, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will and has decided in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I also have the spirit of God. In unpacking these verses, I want to give you four final thoughts on singleness and marriage. Let me give you a second final thought on singleness and marriage, and that is the conditions. The conditions. And I believe this point will be most helpful for those who are considering singleness. If someone chooses to stay single or perhaps are considering whether they have the gift of singleness, whether or not they can do it, should do it, what are the conditions that need to be met? We've already seen earlier in the chapter that the desire or passion for intimacy already disqualifies you. Get married. You don't have the gift. You're just going to come into problems. I know it's a stretch, but when we force people to be single when they shouldn't be single, they're just going to have problems because they have that desire to have intimacy. And what I mean by it's a stretch is we see this in the Catholic Church where according to their rules, nuns must stay single and priests must stay single. And I don't think I need to go into details as to you knowing throughout history, but revealed in just recent history, how big of a problem that has become, especially for the priests. They have that desire. They're forced to be single. And so that that desire comes out not just in sinful ways according to Scripture, but even evil ways according to secular society. But beyond that the desire for intimacy, Paul gives us four additional conditions in verse 37 to consider if you desire or think you might want to be single. And even if you are not sure, it's worth going through these points. 
Look at verse 37. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will and has decided this in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. ESV, but whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. And just to clarify in that view, I know it's confusing, but the idea is that he would remain single. Um, It's confusing because to keep her as his betrothed, there was more to it than being engaged in our day. Some of these people would actually have what was called a spiritual marriage where they were actually living together but were not having intimacy. And so in this view, I don't take that this is, that's what it's referring to, but just so you know that in the culture, some of them would be betrothed and they would live this spiritual marriage and where uh, they're helping each other like married people, you know, helping with whatever the finances and helping keep house, but they would not be intimate. They weren't married. They were simply uh, betrothed. Just for the sake of completeness, the fourth view, again, that I, I don't believe has, uh, as, holds as much water as the two that we're looking at, is the leveret marriage, which came from the Old Testament, where basically because your brother died before he was able to have a child with his wife, then you as the next oldest brother would then provide a child through your now wife, your sister-in-law, to continue the family name, which was much more important back then than it is for us today, at least in our culture, okay? And so the, the idea here would be then you would remain single and she would remain as your betrothed, or even the idea, second idea in that view would be then you would even give her up because if she wants to be married, then you would give her up and let her marry someone else, Okay? And so, again, those are not views that I would hold or even consider because they, they're just not, there's not as much evidence for those. They're on shaky ground. But back to our point and the bigger principle. And just going through the verse, we see the four conditions. One, stands firm in his heart. Two, isn't under constraint. Three, has authority or control over his own will. Four, has decided in his own heart. And we'll see that these overlap a bit. And I will tell you that this applies to men and women as they consider singleness. So these are not conditions for should you be married. These are conditions that need to be met for you to choose to stay single. So if you want to know if you should stay single, first, stands firm in his heart. To stand firm means to have an established condition of standing. In other words, you're not just standing firm now, but this is an ongoing condition. In other words, you are certain. This is not wishy-washy. This is not back and forth. This is not, I'm going through a tough spot. I want to remain single. And then you meet this guy or this girl, and you're like, oh, I, you know, maybe marriage is for me. And then you find out that they have a boyfriend or girlfriend. You go, nah, I should be single. This is not for you. You're not standing firm in your heart. This is not back and forth, constantly changing your mind because of situations or different scenarios or people that you may meet. We know that the heart is the center of the individual. It's where the decisions come from. It involves both the intellect and the emotions. And so if all of you, if everything involved in in your thinking and your decision-making process is constant, you have stood firm and continue to stand firm in your heart that you have no desire for marriage, that you want to stay single for the Lord, 
or even marriage, you kind of have a desire, but you're kind of like, meh, I could take it or leave it. And that is a continuous thought. Then you have met condition number one. Second, being under no constraint or necessity. This refers to an external necessity or pressure. So your desire to stay single cannot be because someone is pressuring you to do it, whether explicitly or otherwise. This, of course, is not talking about the Scriptures pressuring you. This is not talking about Paul pressuring you. This is not talking about pressure from me as I preach to a group of a hundred people, but someone specifically in your life pressuring you to do this. And it goes both ways, right? Whether they're pressuring you to get married or pressuring you to stay single. So your choice is not about others, what they say. It's not about others' expectations, singleness or marriage. My parents just expect me to get married, for example. This isn't even about what people believe about your life. Well, you know, I know you really well, and I've looked at your past relationship, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. We take advice into account, obviously. We, we take into account people who know us well and the Scriptures, of course. But we cannot choose singleness or marriage simply because someone else thinks we should do it. This has to be something that you have decided. How else would you be under a constraint or necessity to get married? We've seen it already. If you have sexual passion or desire for sex, that is a constraining necessity. That means you should not stay single. Condition number three, has authority over his own will or having his desire under control in the ESV. This simply means your motives are pure. You truly want to do this for the Lord. You're not, again, trying to please other people. You're not trying to look spiritual. You're not trying to get something selfishly, as we've talked about before, more time and money for yourself to do fun things. No, your motives need to be pure. Lastly, has decided this in his own heart. Again, this needs to be a personal conviction that you have come to by yourself. Only when this is done will this commitment be deep enough to sustain. Some of you struggle with the fear of man greatly. And it is almost shocking sometimes how long someone can keep up appearances or sustain something, a Christian, simply out of the fear of man. But staying single for the next 10, 30, 40, 50, 60 years just because of the fear of man, that's impossible. That's going to cause a lot more problems in your life. It has to be a personal conviction. And by now, we are well aware of Paul's preference for us to be single. So it's no surprise that at the end of the verse, he says, he will do well. If you meet these four qualifications and choose to remain single, you will do well. To do well is not talking about a moral superiority. It's not talking about a greater holiness. We've talked about this. What he is talking about is what he has written so many times in so many different ways is to do well is that you would choose something that is spiritually advantageous to you and to all of us. Because if you do singleness right, it's service for the Lord and to God's people. And so to do well in this way, to meet these four conditions, to do well in choosing to stay single and then fulfilling that choice, following through, understand that this involves a serious in-depth examination of your own heart before the Scriptures in front of God and then choosing what is best and will not negatively affect your service to the Lord. In other words, this needs to go beyond 
just a convicting response to a handful of sermons. You need to evaluate this before the Lord. The assumption being that you're actively serving the Lord already, and so you understand the joy that you can continue to experience by choosing to remain single and dedicating your life to a service of the Lord full-time. I don't mean vocationally, but just with all of your spare time rather than coming home from work and then it's family or becoming a stay-at-home mom or whatever it may be because of family, not because of serving the church, serving the Lord. So when it comes to figuring out if you should be single or not, this is probably the best starting point to examine whether your heart is right through these uh, four different conditions. Okay? Let's move on. Thirdly is the conclusion. The conclusion, verse 38, So then, both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. ESV, So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Here we have Paul's conclusion, though we have seen it multiple times already in this chapter. So then shows us he is drawing a conclusion from everything he has written so far in this topic. The final summary, the conclusion of everything that he has said, marriage is good, singleness is better. We've seen this all along. This is no surprise to us. I do want to make clear, though, that when it comes to choices, the fact that one choice is better does not make the other choice bad. And again, we've seen this all along, okay? There is good and bad, but there is better and good. So just because singleness is better doesn't mean marriage is bad. By way of review, what makes singleness better are the present distress in verse 26, which if you remember, we generalized as just the challenges of living as a Christian in this world. The shortened times, the shortened time rather in verse 29, meaning that we are in the final days that were inaugurated by the coming of Christ in His birth. We are in the church age. And the less distracted we are, the better, because this is the final chapter of earth and life as we know it. And, of course, the general extra concerns of marriage, which we saw last week. And now, the matter is pretty much settled and concluded. Singleness is better. Marriage is still good. But he adds these final two verses, 39 and 40, to clarify his teachings as it pertains to widows and, by implication, widowers. So our fourth and final, final thought on singleness and marriage is the clarification. So we've seen the concession, the conditions, the conclusion, and now the clarification. We won't need the ESV for this one. Verses 39 and 40, a wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I also have the Spirit of God. Paul is again highlighting, emphasizing the permanency of marriage. Divorce is not an option. And we know both Christ and Paul's teachings on this topic that divorce is not an option. But what about your, if your spouse dies? Well, Paul is then basically saying, then you are free to marry again. 
you are no longer bound to that marriage because that marriage has ended biblically through the death of your spouse. Of course, even with widows, he'd prefer that you stay single. Keep in mind, though, and this is very important to help us understand the context. Keep in mind that because of modern technology and science today in America, we tend, and rightly so, to think of widows as elderly because we just live longer. We recover from simple illnesses that we wouldn't even see a doctor for, like the common cold, that people would, could die of back then. This was not consistently the case in Paul's day when death at a young age was a lot more common than it is today. My point is, don't just, or don't just think that Paul is referring to people who are in their 70s or 80s who they've lived a long, good life. They've been married for 60, 70 years, and now their husband dies, and so now you're free to remarry at 75, 85 years of age. That's included, but that's not the only demographic that he's talking about. What you also need to keep in mind to understand the full thrust of what he's saying here is that being a single woman back then, especially if you had kids, young kids, was not only socially trying but financially difficult, if not impossible, in those days. Women generally did not work. They did not make money. They needed men to provide for them. And one of the reasons the church is told that pure and undefiled religion is taking care of widows, James 1.27, and probably why Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.14 that he actually wants younger widows to marry is because of this. They need to be supported. Their kids need to eat. The reason I bring this up is that you understand that whatever challenges you may face being single, and let's be honest here, for most of you, the challenges of being single in America, or I should say the American church today, is not really social. Right? If anything, the, the culture pressures you to stay single. It's not financial. Some, many of you, have better jobs than many of the single and married men in the church today, talking uh, to the women. But it is pressure that is personal. You just want to get married. You feel like you're getting too old. You feel embarrassed sitting at the singles table at the weddings. There are not the kind of real pressures that a woman who was a widow back then would have to face. Where am I going to eat? How am I going to pay for food? Who's going to clothe my children. And so, understand that Paul is addressing widows and singles in a time when being a single woman especially was much, much more difficult than anything you will ever experience in your life. Even if you choose to be a missionary in a third world country, you have contacts and finances that are forever linked to the United States of America. And though you may live in the same hut as they do and may have to walk the same two miles to get clean water as they do, you will never fully experience what they do and you will never fully understand the pressures and difficulties of life as a single person in Paul's day. And so when you read these passages and say, yeah, but 
Paul doesn't get it. Paul doesn't understand that I'm, I'm just one of a three single women in, in a church of married people, and they're all getting, got, having kids, and, and it's so wonderful. It's so hard. Oh, you don't know what hard is being single, my friend. And Paul is addressing those people, knowing full well what they go through, knowing full well how much the church has to sacrifice to take care of these widows especially, and saying, I prefer it if you stay single. But he says, if you choose to remarry, that's good. And again, for younger widows, later in First Timothy, he says that's the preference so that they can have money and survive. When Paul says that you can remarry as a widow in the Lord, obviously he means you need to marry a Christian, whether or not your first husband was a Christian. But this also has the implication of marrying a Christian in a way that honors the Lord, to marry in the Lord. Then we get to verse 40, which simply repeats his previous argument that being single is the better option, even adding this time that the widow will actually be happier if she remains remains single, though that does not seem to be the case, especially given the cultural context I've just explained. We go back to why he wants us to remain single in the first place, which is the excellent, undistracted joy of maximum service and devotion to the Lord. And so he says you would actually be happier. And then at the end of verse 40 and at the end of the chapter and his teaching on singleness, Paul says that he has the Spirit of God. He says it in a kind of strange way. I think that I also have the Spirit of God. This is again a reminder that he has apostolic authority as well as the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. His commands then were God's commands and His advice. This is very important because singleness is advice. Paul's advice is God's advice. We need to take all of this as from the Lord. But the way he phrases it seems to also indicate that he is taking yet another slight jab at the ascetics in Corinth who may have been convincing the Corinthians that married people are sin if they have sex or single people are in sin if they get married. And they convinced them by saying, oh, we have the Holy Spirit. And thus they were able to persuade the Corinthians in this ungodly teaching to convince them that these things were sin or at least morally wrong, morally bad. And Paul says, "Uh uh-uh, I have the Holy Spirit and this is what I write to you. That yes, it's a preference to stay single, but it's not sin. Yes, it's good to refrain from sex from your spouse for a time for the sake of prayer, as we saw a few weeks ago. But it's not sin to have sex with your husband or your wife. And so to wrap it all up, we've seen these four final thoughts on singleness and marriage, the concession, the conditions, the conclusion, the clarification. But if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, if she is past her youth, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let her marry But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, and has decided that in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I also have the Spirit of God. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us this wonderful privilege to either choose singleness or marriage. I pray for those of us who are married that you would help us to excel still more, regardless of whether our spouse is a believer, whether or not our spouse is walking with the Lord, whether or not our spouse is fulfilling their roles in Scripture. May we individually seek service. May we seek our biblical roles and apply them. For those who are single and wondering if they should get married, even those who are dating or engaged, wondering if they should get, be married or single, I pray that they would apply and think through and pray through biblical principles, not just selfish or worldly principles or not those at all. Pray, Father, for those who are single and are actively pursuing and have decided in their hearts to get married. I pray that that you would use their remaining time as single to not just use their last weeks or months or years to fulfill their selfish desires that they think they can't fulfill when they're married, but to use their time and resources now to do what someone who is single permanently would do to maximize their service and worship and to prepare their hearts to have a biblical marriage. For those who are undecided, Father, please help them to to know and commit in either way to give you all the glory that we would all, regardless of our marital status, would look back and be able to say, we did it well by the grace and power of God. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. For the next part in this series, join us next week at this same time. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You are invited to join them for worship services in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit gracebayarea.org for service times, directions, live streamed services, listen to archived sermons, or to make a tax-deductible donation to help keep Grace to the Bay on the air so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Again, that's gracebayarea.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.